Welcome to Mental Health Conversations, a series of podcasts to help families and faith communities begin conversations on mental health. The goal of these podcasts is to provide education on mental health conditions, invite further conversations through discussion questions, and offer resources for follow-up. This podcast is produced by the Northeastern Minnesota Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and is funded by a generous grant from the ELCA Disability Ministries, made possible through Always Being Made New, the campaign for the ELCA. Hello, my name is Joy Hensel. I serve as the program consultant for the Northeastern Minnesota Synod Youth Ministry and Mental Health Initiative. The topic for today's podcast is Anxiety Disorders, Equipping Ministry Leaders. Our guest today is Elizabeth Sorensen. She has her master's in social work and is a licensed graduate social worker employed by Nystrom & Associates as a school-based mental health therapist working full-time serving the students and families at Denfeld High School in Duluth, Minnesota. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. It's so great to be here today, Joy. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. You know, so much of who I am as an individual and as a professional was really formed by uh, my time in different communities within the ELCA. So that includes, you know, my time at Concordia College and with Voyagers Lutheran Ministry and Young Adults in Global Mission. And then I'm just really passionate about the work I do as a mental health provider. So to be able to just join those two worlds uh, is really special. So I also want to let you know that I go by Biz, B-I-Z, both personally and professionally. So throughout the remainder of this podcast episode, feel free to uh, refer to me as Biz. So Biz, tell us a little bit more. What exactly is it that you do as a school-based mental health therapist? Yeah. So what I like to tell kids and families uh, that are interested in learning more about our services or um, just want more information in general about school-based therapy is that just like you were to go and see an outpatient therapist or a counselor at a clinic somewhere in the community, uh, what I do is I provide those same services, but here, uh, here at school, but at Denfeld High School. Uh, my position falls under the description of a community-based mental health provider, which means I provide mental health and therapy services to students and their families in the community. Uh, during the school year, I'm located at Denfeld High School full-time, Monday through Friday. Um, and depending on the type of insurance, I can also see kids in their homes, um, at predetermined meeting spots in the community, at our, our Nystrom & Associates downtown location, um, and just it's important to note that the goal of community-based services and why I like to be a part of community-based services is the goal is always to remove barriers to kids and families accessing services. So there can be a lot of different barriers, um, financial, just basic knowledge of where to go and how to get services, uh, transportation, um, and community-based is just really unique in that way that we we try to remove those and really um, help families that otherwise wouldn't have access to to our services. What a great resource. How common are school-based mental health therapists? Um, you know, I've worked in two different districts and a couple different school buildings. And I guess what I've learned is that each district and school tends to um, do things differently in the way that they provide mental health services. So um, sometimes they have people embedded right in the school, um, they're hiring outside professionals like me. Other times they have licensed mental health providers that um, work in, in different 
district positions, such as school social workers, um, mental health practitioners. So I would just encourage any um, families that are wondering kind of what's available in their school or in their district to just call and ask. I know in my experience at Denfeld, um, I continue to have, you know, kids and families say, oh, I didn't know that existed mm-hmm. in your building. Mm-hmm. And so especially in bigger, bigger schools, um, just kind of calling and, and asking and um, figuring out, you know, what resources are available for my child when it comes to mental health. These days as a school-based mental health therapist, what mental health conditions are you seeing and encountering with youth? You know, I see a variety of different diagnoses um, in the client base that I, I work with at Denfeld, although there are some uh, mental health diagnoses that are a little more uh, common and that we see pretty regularly. So those are things like depressive disorders, um, post-traumatic stress disorder and other trauma-related disorders, adjustment disorder, um, autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, um, and anxiety disorders are, are pretty common. Um, and that's, that's the topic of our discussion today. I hear an increase of youth and adults, for that matter, who talk about feeling worried, uh, feeling fear, feeling anxious. But those feelings are different than, per se, an anxiety disorder. Well, they can be, yeah. I think it's a really important to, thing to clarify, like when is what I'm experiencing normal and typical, um, and when is it diagnosable? Uh, so I typically explain to kids and families that feelings of worry, fear, and anxiety are all really normal. We all are going to experience that at some time in our lives. Um healthy levels of anxiety actually help to keep us safe. Uh, it can help us to perform better and provide us with the right amount of concern to do the things that need to be done. So that could be um, things like studying for a big test or practicing your script for the school play or making sure to look both ways before crossing the street. Those are all ways that anxiety can and help keep us safe and help us to just do life. Um, that's healthy anxiety. But when we're looking at a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder, uh, we have to ask questions like, does this impair my daily functioning? Uh, Does this get in the way of me being able to do life? Daily functioning means things like showing up to school or to work, um, engaging in in healthy relationships with peers, uh, being able to take care of ourselves in terms of like personal hygiene and, um, you know, staying staying on top of homework and other responsibilities. So building off from those questions, what are some warning signs of anxiety disorders? Well, one of the most common signs to look for, I would say in teens, Mm -hmm. um, is avoidance. So Mm -hmm. avoidance is a really natural, but often um, can be a maladaptive response to anxiety. A lot of times kids at Denfeld get on my radar and get referred to mental health services because they're missing school, they're skipping class, um, homework is piling up, grades are dropping, um, they're isolating themselves socially, dropping out of or not engaging in activities. Um, So their anxiety in these areas leads to avoidance, which can then lead to increased anxiety and can just be a really, a really nasty cycle. And I think that's one of those things that stands out um, in terms of impairing functioning to, to adults um, that have relationships with teens when they start to see some of that avoidance. That's a really good point. I don't think I would have thought about avoidance and that being this warning sign or 
the symptom or sign that there's something else really possibly going on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one to pay attention to. Um, some other warning signs and just really common symptoms of anxiety or of a potential anxiety disorder is increased irritability, um, an inability to relax. Um, when teens start to have impaired sleep, including trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, uh, increased crying spells. Another one that often gets um, kind of unnoticed or that people aren't aware of is physical pain in the body, um, complaints of stomach aches, headaches, um, just other physical complaints in general. Um, anxiety tends to present itself um, in the physical body and, and people aren't always aware, oh, like that, that's anxiety. Um, kids you know, and teens saying that they've, they're having a racing heart, racing thoughts, the feelings of being on edge. Um, sometimes panic attacks can occur. Um, perfectionist tendencies can sometimes be a symptom of, of an anxiety disorder. Um, rigidity, along with just an inability to cope with daily stressors. So if a family member is starting to see some of these warning signs, what can the individual or family member, what, what can they do next? You know, I always recommend... And I say this even to new referrals that I get at my place of work is I always recommend if your teen is experiencing anxiety that's interfering with their daily functioning, if you think that they need a higher level of support to just start with an appointment with your primary care doctor, I think that's really important to rule out any possible physical health problems uh, that could be contributing to anxiety. And once the physical health is ruled out, um, then your your primary care doctor should be able to refer you uh, to a mental health provider to to other mental health services from there. I think that's an important point that you've made mm-hmm. that sometimes we don't know what's going on in our bodies, and these signs or warning signs or symptoms could be a sign of something else. So mm-hmm. it sounds like that's important. We need to go to the medical doctor and start there and and yep. move forward from there. Absolutely. Biz, why is it important as ministry leaders to educate themselves about mental health conditions such as anxiety disorders and to be aware of the signs and symptoms that we've talked about on anxiety? Yeah, um, I think as ministry leaders, you're definitely a part of the human services profession. So as a human services professional myself, it's always important to educate yourself on what are the needs of my community and how can I best serve this community. Um, and I think that just a good working knowledge of mental health um, and anxiety and anxiety disorders is super important in order um, to best serve your congregation. Um, I think it can also be helpful and empowering um, for professional them, professionals themselves to just have a better understanding of like, okay, what is, is this a difficult personality? Is this a personal attack on me? Um, what's actually happening here? Or is this, you know, symptoms of a mental illness? Is this symptoms of a mental health mm-hmm. condition? Looking um, at the bigger picture. Yeah, kind of the really bigger picture on. of like, what's really going on here? How can I better understand this? And then also having that knowledge, having that understanding, being able to have these hard conversations kind of lends itself to a, a church culture where then individuals can also feel safe saying, you know, this is something I struggle with and this is what would be really helpful for me. And then really, you know, creating a community where we can accommodate for individuals um, that might struggle in different ways Mm -hmm. and just creating just a safer space in general. What can ministry leaders 
kind of going off from what you were saying, how can they break down stigma and encourage these conversations in their congregations, such as on the topic of anxiety? Yeah, in terms of reducing stigma, um, stigma is huge um, and can be a huge barrier to people um, being able to be their authentic selves, to show up as their full and best selves, to be honest and open about about what they need. Um, and so I think I, I always kind of use this phrase of shifting the culture. And for me, that's, you know, in our in our church congregations and our families and our communities. And so I would just say, you know, really working on shifting that culture and that begins with language. And so um, having professionals, having congregation members um, just kind of be up to date on appropriate language when we talk about mental health. An example of that would be, you know, making sure you're not saying things like, oh, that lady's crazy, right? Yeah. Kind of the use of the word crazy. Not That's just like one, language. you know, one example that that comes up a lot. Because Other, that doesn't create a safe space. Exactly, exactly. Other ideas would be, you know, bringing in mental health professionals to do educational days, naming mental illness and prayers of the people, um, preaching about mental health, preaching about mental illness, having mental health Sundays, uh, making sure that you have resources available. Maybe that's even creating mental health teams to help identify and meet the needs of congregation members. I think, you know, I say this a lot. Um, I say this when I speak in classes at Denfeld and I say this to family members is like one of the best ways to reduce stigma is to have the conversations and to share in your own experience. So obviously, you know, appropriate time and place and with appropriate boundaries, but sharing your own experiences with, with mental health and um, just kind of what you've been through or what people you know have been through can be a really good way of normalizing uh, a topic. And when I think of church, I think of, and I think of, you know, just the Christian faith in general, like Jesus didn't shy away mm-hmm. from from topics, right? Mm-hmm. But as a church, we often send this subtle or even not so subtle messaging that certain topics are taboo. I think mental health is one of those topics. I, um, we're not very comfortable sometimes yeah. going about those difficult conversations. Exactly. Those conversations. And so really just like leaning into that, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable um, sharing your own experiences, having this information and resources available, making it a normal part of the church culture to talk about mental health. Um, I want to just do like a shout out to my own pastor, Pastor Chris Sauter. I think he does an incredible job of reducing stigma in the church community that I'm a part of. Um, he regularly talks about his therapist, who he adores. Um, he's, you know, written Facebook posts about his therapist. He's talked about making referrals. He's kind of done a poll of, hey, you know, for those of you that know that I often talk about my awesome therapist, what are some other resources in the community? And so to have the leader of your community um, acknowledging that not only that he, ha- yes, not only that he, he has a therapist, but um, acknowledging how helpful it's been for him and his family members and his friends is, I, I think, incredible. And um, just really, like I said, creates this culture of this is something we talk about here. This is something real. This is something that a huge number of people in this community are experiencing. So yeah, off the top of my head, I think that's kind of... And it sounds like for you in your faith community, it's been helpful to experience that type of authenticity and transparency. Absolutely. Along with, as you talked about earlier, having those healthy boundaries and knowing when is the appropriate time to, uh, to share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As we talk about 
sharing and boundaries, it leads me to a question talking about truly the role of a ministry leader. There are a lot of different conversations that people might share with ministry mm-hmm. leaders, especially when ministry leaders might share their own personal experience. Yeah. But as a mental health professional, talk to us a little bit about what is the role of a ministry leader when addressing or talking about mental health? Yeah. So like I said, I think having conversations and and kind of normalizing the topic of mental health is super important, but there is a piece where it's also equally important to kind of know your professional role. And so the first thing I want to acknowledge is if an individual is coming to you with concerns about their mental health or is sharing and opening up to you, that's huge. I think that's really significant that you, you know, as, as a ministry leader have created a space and a relationship for people to feel comfortable mm-hmm. because these can be really hard and personal things to talk about. However, I really want ministry leaders to feel equipped with knowing what are those next steps? Like when does, when, when do I need to kind of take the next step to, to refer someone? And so I think the role really of a ministry leader is yes, having those relationships, listening, validating, but then supporting individuals in the way that you would support them when they come to you with any kind of tough, hard, real stuff, but then connecting to resources. And it's all about knowing, you know, is this within my competency level? Mm -hmm. Um, For me as a mental health provider, I have the same thing happen. So, you know, I can work through, I'm trained and experienced in a lot of different areas within mental health, but then every now and then I have a client bring up a topic that just isn't my area of expertise or show up with a diagnosis that I'm really not trained to um, provide therapy for. And so that's when I have to really check and say, like, am I professionally trained and experienced in this way? Or am I way out of my comfort zone here, way out of my competency level. And then ethically, I need to refer to to someone that does specialize. To best so, meet the needs of absolutely. The and and it's all about with. safety, really. Mm-hmm. And we're we're people first, piece, right? right? We're people mm-hmm. first. And it can feel great to be this trusted individual that people come to with their hard stuff, but it's not about us. It's really about what does this individual need and how do we keep them safe and supported? And so when you start to notice that someone's sharing something that's really outside of your your competency, really outside of your professional expertise as a ministry leader, it's saying, here are the community resources available because I listened to this great podcast um, or because you've done your own research. And I really recommend you seek professional help. And it's even setting boundaries and saying, you know what, this isn't within my area of expertise, but I will do what I can to support you Mm -hmm. um, and help you get the services that you need or help refer you to the services you need. And then we keep on showing up, right? We keep checking and we say, how are you doing? Um, Have you found, you know, a therapist that that fits well for you? Um, Is there anything else I can do to to support you or connect you um, with someone that has the information you need? Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's a neat role that ministry leaders get to have or get to participate in someone's life at the beginning and in the middle and throughout can keep showing up and follow up and say, oh, how is your, how are your therapy appointments going? Or how are you doing? Or tell me more about it, your anxiety and what's going on and and where you're at these days. And it's a neat role because not 
people who are working in mental health professions can't see someone on the side of the street and say, hey. Yeah, absolutely. What I've heard you saying is that the first role for ministry leaders is to refer youth to mental health services. Now let's talk about youth who are connected to mental health services and who have disclosed, self-disclosed that they experience anxiety. And yet these youth are still showing up to youth group, to confirmation, to youth trips with significant mental health needs. How do we best respond and support those youth? Yeah, well, I think that's the reality, right, is that this is um, this stuff isn't easy. It can be uh, a real mm-hmm. challenge to know how to support um, individuals that are struggling with mental health needs while also attending or tending to the rest of your right. youth group or, you know, whatever whatever the kind of ministry activity is. As a mental health professional, I would say first and foremost, individuals are the expert on themselves. And so part of this is sitting down. If a kid is self-disclosing and saying, here's the challenges or things are coming up um, during different events, it's really having a real honest conversation with that kid and saying, all right, what what are your needs? Um, how can we accommodate those needs? How can we best support you? Uh, one of the greatest skills I, I teach young people is self-advocacy. So it's knowing what is my disability or what is my diagnosis and what are my needs and how do I get those met. And so encouraging um, young people to be advocates for themselves is super important. It's going to help them and it's going to help you. And it's just going to create a really good plan and communication in general. I don't want to leave out the the really important role of the family and so, you know, what I, what comes to mind for me is, you know, let's say a kid is going to camp for the week and they have a severe allergy to something. Okay. Well, the family is going to inform you about that, that allergy. Right. They're going to make sure that, you know, their child has their EpiPen available, mm-hmm. that there's a health safety plan mm-hmm. in place. There really shouldn't be any difference between these types of like physical health conditions and mental health conditions. So if there's a kid, a student struggling with a mental health disorder, with mental health symptoms, I think it's really important to sit down with that kid and their family and to have a conversation about what does this look like? What are some fears? What is the plan that's in place? How are we going to make sure that everyone involved follows through with that Mm -hmm. plan? And that's just to keep everyone safe and to, you know, create an environment that's that's best for everyone. I think it's really important for ministry leaders to also be able to set some boundaries on things um, and to say, and, and that's why a plan is really helpful, mm-hmm. is that it just so can refer back to the plan. Well, exactly. You can refer back so to the plan. You can on. hold everyone mm-hmm. accountable to the plan. We can make sure that everyone's safe. I think just having those those conversations on the front end, coming up with a plan on the front end, making sure that parents are as equally involved and the kids with the plan are as equally involved on the front end is going to just set everyone up for for success in general. It's going to make these conversations and these situations just a lot more manageable as opposed to just, yeah, as opposed to that healthy conversation and communication relationship. Exactly. And that's going to continue to reduce that stigma that we talked about earlier. It's going to continue to facilitate a culture where, like I said, we can have these conversations. And it helps build the relationship. And it 
helps build a relationship. Absolutely. It helps build just trusted and supportive relationship. Thank you, Biz, for sharing your wonderful experience, for sharing tools and examples with us and all of your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. Thank you for joining Mental Health Conversations, a ministry of the Northeastern Minnesota Synod Youth Ministry and Mental Health Initiative. These podcasts are an educational resource for parents and ministry leaders and are intended as a first step to begin conversations on mental health. The information provided here is not complete and does not cover all issues related to mental health. These podcasts should never replace the advice of a skilled mental health professional. Always seek the advice of a mental health professional or other qualified health provider for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment if you suspect you or someone you know has a mental illness or mental health condition. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911 immediately. If you are having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-8255 to talk with a trained counselor.